Hey everyone, welcome to the Chinsky Chronicles. Really excited to be filming episode number six. Uh, this actually falls right back with my conversation with Rowena when I was talking very highly of my other cousin, uh, Josh Liu, who is absolutely amazing for a much different regard. Uh, he isn't an Thank influencer, you. but he's amazing with food. Um, he'll actually talk to us a little bit more about his journey where he graduated UCLA with more of like a biochem degree, but eventually actually pursued a route in fine dining. And one of the companies and restaurants that you worked for recently just got a Michelin star. So I like to say that he is a Michelin star chef, <laughs> um, but we'll hear a lot more from him. But Josh, I don't know if you want to give a quick intro there, but I'm really excited to have you on. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Uh, well, I'm Josh. Um, been cooking for like the past six or seven years now professionally. Um, I'm... I wouldn't call myself a Michelin star chef, first of all, just, just to get that, <laughs> <laughs> just, just to get that out there. Um, I, I've been training under a Michelin star chef, but um, I wouldn't call myself a chef quite yet. Um, I don't think I'm quite at that level yet, but um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun journey. Yeah, I feel like when I was younger, every time I'm always so excited to eat your food, whether it was like the random creations you would make or like you put together random ingredients. I think last time when I went to your house, you make chicken tenders out of scratch. And I was just like, okay. And you just like crafted like sesame noodles, I think. It was such a random like hodgepodge of things, but it ended up tasting really, really good. And you just made it on the spot with the ingredients that you have. And I think that's what makes you so talented too. Thank you. But um, I think the, the whole concept of today's conversation, you know, I really want to understand, you know, where this passion for food came from. And you and I have shared a long childhood together. I feel like you've had so many different hobbies that I've actually kind of tried to pick up and emulate. There was like fashion, there was, you know, playing the guitar. Um, mm -hmm. I think there was like wakeboarding. Dude, you did like everything. It was ridiculous. But I feel like food was always something that you, uh, mm -hmm. that you stuck with. And right, right. I love to kind of hear like, how did you come across your passion for food? at you know if you go back to your like your early childhood so i would say that in terms of um how do i where should i start so in terms of uh the food that i grew up eating i mostly grew up eating my uh mother and my grandmother's cooking uh which was all taiwanese um i suppose that's kind of where my love for food started i just always loved eating as as a kid um, I was always the first one to the dinner table and the last one to leave. Um, and, but in terms of uh, Western cooking, my uncle, uh, my, on my father's side, he, uh, he was the one who kind of introduced me to uh, Western cuisine. So uh, when I was younger, whenever we'd go over to my grandma's house, if he was the one cooking, he'd be the one, uh, he'd, he would make spaghetti, he'd make a uh, steak, just... Uh, Western style food that I wasn't really exposed to very much at all, you know, beyond just uh, fast food or like McDonald's or um, <laughs> food of that sort, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess that's kind of where I'll started just within my family um, and perhaps like a uh, innate desire to just really enjoy uh, consuming, you know. Yeah, I feel like when I grew up, I always ate a lot of not just your food, but your mom's food. And it was definitely like a lot more Asian based. But I think that's something that still kind of hits home for me, you know, that home comfort mm -hmm. food. But right. I guess like out Absolutely. of out of all the hobbies you've done, like, you know, why is cooking the thing that stuck with you for so long? 
Mm, I can't really say for sure. Um, I just find that I'm kind of uh, drawn to it. It's kind of like a calling for me. Um, uh, maybe a big part of it might be because I really enjoy entertaining and uh, just hosting people and just making people happy. I think that's a big part of why I enjoy cooking um, to, to feed people, essentially. It's, it's funny because like whenever I cook, I don't really ever get too hungry. Yeah, sure, I love to eat, but um, when I'm cooking, really, I, I think what I have on my mind is whether or not people are going to enjoy the dish or not, you know? Yeah, I definitely feel like it's not just the food you make, but the presentation of like how you played it and like all the intricacies within it. But I feel like for myself, like I personally have no patience to learn all that. But for you, it's like something <laughs> that you have so much interest in. Um, mm -hmm. But I think something else that, that's really interesting too is like, I know, I know your family very well. And I know, you know, necessarily going down this route of cooking and cuisine wasn't something that was very easily available for you. I know like mm -hmm. your mom definitely made it, you know, I love her. She's an amazing person, but she definitely right, made it right. really, really hard for yes. you to go down this route. Whereas like, Josh, you had to finish your undergrad. Like, what are you doing with cooking? Right. You right. can kind of go back to that. Like, how did you kind of think about that whole situation and, and like, how did it affect you? Well, I mean, it was tough. Um, out of high school, uh, I really wanted to cook, but my parents wanted me to go to college. Uh, they essentially wanted me to become a doctor, dentist, or just uh, whatever field in the medical industry. I think they would have been, at the time at least, they would have been really happy about that. But uh, as I kind of um, went, uh, went through my classes in college, I, the more and more I realized that I wasn't really happy uh, just, you know, sticking, sticking my head into books and just studying all the time. And I knew that if I continued down that path, I wouldn't really enjoy it. Uh, I actually ended up taking some time off college to work at uh, the restaurant that I'm still working at now, actually. And um, that, that time was kind of a very sort of definitive moment for me because it, it was kind of like the first moment where I was like, you know what, I, I think I might want to do this, you know, for, for like, not necessarily the rest of my life, but like it's it's something that I just that I realized that I really had wanted to pursue. Yeah, I remember you were telling me about the food science class that you took, and I think the chef that you work really closely with, he was like a guest speaker, right? And then That's I think correct. you guys somehow connected. How did that whole like situation play out, though? Did you like just reach out to him after the class, and then like he ended up giving you like this opportunity to shadow him? How did that look like? Uh, okay, so um, with that, I the first time that I met him, um, it was it was during a, a food science course. That that's right. Um, and I I think I briefly introduced myself to him, uh, but hmm. I didn't really think much of it until later. I wasn't really uh, looking to get a job at a restaurant at that point quite yet. Uh, but maybe about a year later or so. Um, a friend uh, who had worked in the food industry before. I, at the time, I was looking for a, uh, a job and my friend, John, I, I asked him, hey, John, like, where do you think I should go uh, stage or, or rather uh, work? And mm -hmm. he told me, oh, you should, uh, you should reach out to uh, Chef Menez of uh, Le Comtois. Like, I had a really great experience over there and um, I, I, I think he'd be an amazing chef to work for. So um, I ended up uh, ended up reaching out to him. 
also reached out to um, another chef, Michael Vitaggio of Inc. Inc. is uh, gone now, though, unfortunately. I think he's still working on some other projects. I'm not too sure now. But uh, just those were really the only two chefs that I had reached out to. And fortunately, um, Chef Menez was like, hey, do you want to meet? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, at the time, his restaurant wasn't open yet. Uh, but he, the first time I met him, I remember going over to the Hotel Normandy where uh, Le Comtois at the time was being built. Um, so we went in, he showed me the space, and then he told me that I wouldn't be able to, um, you know, necessarily like cook in the kitchen quite yet because it was still under construction. But he invited me to go uh, work on his farm. And just to give you all a little bit of a backstory or uh, a little bit of context for Le Comtois, uh, the restaurant, it's a very small reservation only restaurant that only seats up to like maybe about 10 people. The chef has his own farm where he grows his own vegetables. And in the morning, he harvests the vegetables, brings them over to the restaurant. Uh, we, the apprentices, um, cook, sous chefs, whatever you want to call it, uh, we would wash and prepare the vegetables and get them ready for service. And then once service starts, you know, the guests come in and we fire off all the dishes and uh, serve them all. So uh, just kind of going, uh, going off that, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, all good. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's the background for the restaurant. Um, and then let's see, what was your main question again? I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that happens whenever you get into like these like back memories of, of yours. But yeah. I think the question was like, how, how did you get your foot in the door for this opportunity with the chef uh, at the restaurant that you were working at? Um, well, I mean, that's, uh, so I reached out to him started working on his, uh, so that's the context for the restaurant. I started yeah. working on his farm um, and I did that for about maybe like two months or so. And then uh, the first time that I actually got to work in a kitchen with the chef was actually for a little private dinner party, uh, which we, uh, it, the, the chef during that time, he would do a couple of private dinner parties, which uh, I'm assuming was to kind of help build some uh, revenue for his, uh, for his restaurant uh, to essentially help them with the opening of it. Because, you know, with opening up uh, a business or a, a restaurant, it, it costs a lot of money. And um, the chef basically funded, uh, he, he nearly funded the entire thing on his own. He only has uh, one other partner who's uh, fairly hands off um, in terms of uh, input for the restaurant. So, um, yeah, that's, that's basically how I got started. I just uh, asked him and uh, started working on his farm, did a couple of private dinner events, and then come, I think it was uh, December 20, 2012, I believe, um, is when the restaurant opened. Uh, that's when I, you know, I showed up and we just started, essentially. There, we, were, we were just kind of uh, thrown into the mess, so to speak. Yeah, definitely very wholesome beginnings working on a farm. And I'm sure like when most people think about like their dream job, they don't think like about all the small steps that take to get there. They're just like, I instantly right. want to get to that next stage. But then to have to start like plucking vegetables, washing it and like only doing the bare bone. 
I'm mm-hmm. sure like a lot of the ego and stuff has to get kind of put aside, but I feel like you're someone that never really had too much of that. Like you're always willing to do anything, which I always thought was an amazing thing about you, Josh. Um, and I guess on that topic, right? So like when you were thinking about going through the restaurant business, I think for my, like, let's say talking about myself, right? When I think about the restaurant industry, I think about like Ratatouille, I think about like chef's table. Um, right. That's kind of what the media portrays. But I'm curious, you know, from an insider perspective, what are some things that even you didn't really expect, you know, as you started to join the restaurant business and work behind the scenes? Uh, so like, uh, is your question essentially like unexpected obstacles that I kind of encountered, like when I first started? Yeah, it could be obstacles. It could be also like experiences, things that like you just never thought would happen or <laughs> like interesting stories or something like that. I mean, it's, uh, I feel like to some degree, everything was expected. Um, it's working in a restaurant is a very stressful job. Um, there were a couple of, uh, incidents where, um, you know, things were pretty tough. Like I had to, uh, really, um, I guess kind of just power through certain moments. Like for example, um, service always starts at six. And there are plenty of times where we were just prepping up until that moment and until the guests came in. And it's just a, a huge, huge uh, push to, to really get those, um, uh, those dishes out onto the table. Because uh, during prep time, you know, ideally you would have all of your, um, everything cut, uh, chopped or prepped uh, for service. But there, there've been a good amount of times where uh, we weren't, quite ready but we just had to do it you know you just gotta like the, the guests are there you know they're uh they're not gonna they're not gonna wait like another couple hours for you to just <laughs> finish cutting those vegetables you, you just gotta you just gotta get onto the plate essentially it kind of goes back to the whole point of like you're literally tossing the fire and it's up to you guys to kind of scramble and make the most out of it and right, i can't imagine right. the amount of stress that you had because it was like your first foray into all this I mean, was there ever, or did you ever even think about like a backup plan if, if this didn't pan out, like the restaurant career and food industry? Um, not exactly. Uh, I just, uh, I, I'm not really one for uh, backup plans. I, I just kind of uh, went for it and I figured that, you know, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely not for everyone, this sort of mindset. But like, if you don't have a safety net below you and you're walking on a tightrope, you know, the only thing mm-hmm. you can do is just keep moving forward, right? Um, so that, that was kind of like my mindset with it. I just kind of decided to roll with it. Um, I suppose that if this didn't work out for me, I could have always gone back to school. Um, that was an option that was given to me by my parents, but I never considered that an option for myself because I just did not want to go back to school. Yeah, and I think the part that like, I'm, re- I'm just looking at it from an outsider perspective, it's always been interesting to wrap my head around it, because on paper, it's like, you did really well in high school, like you had good mm-hmm. academics, you had good extracurriculars, you went to a really great college. But yet with all these like pieces on like a paper, you still decided to go down this very unconventional path that's for a lot of Asian people, almost unheard of, right? Like, I think you're one of the few exceptions that I've come across like that. And Rowena happens to be another one too. Um, I guess, did you also like have any moments where you felt like you were at a crossroad? Like, okay, like this is the path I can stick on or maybe I can do something else. Like, did you ever feel like you had conflicting crossroads or you always felt like it was a straight path to where you are today? Um, 
let me think about that one. Uh, I wouldn't say so specifically. Um, there's definitely, uh, mm, there's a point in time. Uh, so like basically during the time that I uh, took some time off school to go uh, work at the restaurant, um, there's a, uh, there's a point in time during which I kind of considered, okay, um, do I want to go back to school and graduate or uh, would I rather just keep working at the restaurant? And ultimately I decided that I would at the very least finish my undergrad. Um, I think a big part of that, uh, a big part of my motivation for that was really from my parents. Um, they didn't necessarily push me to go finish uh, school, but I felt that it was something that I had wanted to complete, um, not only for them, but for myself too, because uh, I have a bit of a finish what, uh, like, you know, finish what you start sort of mindset in regards to that. So um, having like the, I, I basically took a time off school starting somewhere around uh, my junior year. Um, I had only like maybe a year's uh, worth of classes left um, at that point to complete. So I figured, okay, um, I'll finish up my undergrad and then I'll just uh, go back to work at the restaurant and I'll be able to do it full time for a while and I'll see where that takes me. Uh, but in regards to like a true crossroads, um, I, I, I can't really say that um, I've really, you know, I've, I've ever been at that sort of like impasse, I guess. Yeah, that's actually really fascinating. I feel like it's really interesting to meet people that have like a really strong passion for something. And it's almost like somewhat clear cut to get to where they are and they still are happy mm -hmm. where they are. I feel like mm -hmm. for a lot of the people, like including myself, like let's say I'm working the nine to five job at a corporation. I feel yeah. like I go, I run through multiple impasses, right? There's, there's been multiple times where like even the career I'm doing, like, could I do sales or like, could I do something else? What if I break out? I think I might've told you last time, like I wanted to do like a corporate boba idea. Like, I've always had a lot of these ideas, but I think a lot of it comes down to execution. And that's right. something that I've always seen you do really well at. And from all the experiences, like you did the, the sous chef, but you also worked at like a Taiwanese restaurant. What was like the mm -hmm. thought process there? Cause that was like a huge pivot from like fine dining to like, I want to work in the back and start making like ground pork rice or something like that. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. Um, so just to give uh, all of you listeners a little bit of context, um, I also work at a small Taiwanese restaurant called uh, Golden Leaf in, um, I think it's in San Gabriel. Um, really great Taiwanese food. Love the chef there. Um, he's, he's awesome. Uh, so my whole uh, reasoning behind it was um, I just really want to learn how to cook Taiwanese food, uh, but with, a, with like a bit of a more... Um, professional perspective, I guess you could say. Like, for example, um, my mother and my grandmother, they make fantastic Taiwanese food, but at the end of the day, it's still home cooking. Um, it's very different from cooking in a restaurant, you know. Uh, the pace is very different. Um, the technique is, uh, it, it's quite different, and it's just not quite the same experience that you would get, you know. Uh, if you were to say, uh, to go out to a Taiwanese restaurant, or let's say you're roaming this, the night market's Taiwan and you're uh, enjoying the street food there, you know, it's, it's a completely different experience, um, uh, both cooking that food and eating uh, that kind of food, either in the night markets or at home. So I wanted to just get a 
professional perspective on how to cook Taiwanese food because I figured that at some point I would like to uh, cook food from the culture that you know I myself am from. So I guess uh, to some degree it was kind of like me trying to um, revisit my roots, so to speak. Yeah, no, that makes absolute sense. And I'm sure it's going to pay dividends before we talk about like the venture that both yourself and your girlfriend are pursuing now. Um, mm-hmm. Before I get ahead of myself, I think there were two other ventures that you did in between working at the Taiwanese restaurant and also working at the fine dining restaurant. It was Moo yeah. Kitchen when you started selling cookies. And then the other thing was doing private catering. Love to kind of hear more yeah. about that process. Like, how did you come across those two other ideas? Okay, so... Um... With that one, um, I think so. Let's uh, let's start with the whole um, the whole uh, baking idea that I had. So um, for a while, uh, I just wanted to make a little bit of extra money. Um, and uh, May and I, at the time, we were talking about like some different ideas that would um, allow us to kind of make some money while also kind of uh, getting my food out to people. So. We we're just kind of brainstorming ideas of, um, you know, shelf-stable foods that we could have ship, shipped all over the place, essentially. So we came up with the idea of a Moo Baking Company to, um, to, send, to, to get that product out, essentially. We, we made cookies because they're shelf-stable. Um, they hold up well. You could ship them. Uh, it's not like trying to uh, ship, like, takeout to, like, New York or anything, you know? It's, it's not going to rot on its way there, essentially. So we started that baking company um, while I was still living at my parents' place. Um, and eventually we made uh, enough to move out and get our own little, um, little uh, apartment, I, I guess you could say. So really that whole, um, that whole idea was, was born out of uh, both, um, I guess, necessity and also um, out of a desire to share my food with a wider audience. Now, moving on to the whole uh, private dinner um, uh, catering thing that you were just mentioning. Um, so we did some catering events, uh, but we also hosted some of our own uh, private dinner parties. So uh, that concept was called Moo Kitchen, which is kind of, uh, which was kind of under the same banner of a Moo Baking Company. <clears throat> our first private dinner event was hosted at my good friend Alwyn's house. Uh, he graciously lent his kitchen and his uh, dining room to us uh, to basically let us uh, run like a six course tasting menu uh, at his place. Well, actually, hold on, let me, let me backtrack real quick because this wasn't the very first event we did. The very first event we did uh, was actually um, for my uh, friend Craig's parents. So they were uh, looking for somebody to do some uh, catering and Craig, who um, I, he, he was one of my cousin's friends. He, I, I knew him uh, back in high school and I hadn't really seen him since he uh, uh, graduated. And I basically, uh, after work one day uh, out in downtown LA, I, I was coming out of uh, Le Comtois and I just saw him on the streets and I was like, Craig, and then he was like, Josh. And then we, from there, we <laughs> just kind of uh, reconnected a little bit. We ended up hanging out and then uh, he asked me what I was doing. I told him I was working at that restaurant. And he was like, hey, you know, my parents love doing these like uh, private dinner events. Uh, we'd, we'd love to have you over sometime. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Um, let's let's do it. So we ended up doing a little uh, a little private uh, catering event for them. It was 
it was very much tasting menu based. And that's kind of uh, where the whole uh, dinner party concept came up, uh, came, came out of, or yeah. So after that, we hosted the um, dinner party at my friend Alan's house. Um, that was kind of a little bit more of a controlled environment, so to speak, because it was a environment that we are more familiar with and we were cooking for people that we knew. We were cooking for, um, for friends, essentially, that we had invited over. Um, and it was just a, it was a very fun time uh, running those private dinner events. I'd love to keep doing those, but, you know, with the whole uh, COVID situation right now, we're just, uh, we're, we're not able to do that. Yeah, it's really fascinating though. It sounds like you've stumbled upon a lot of great opportunities. The first time was with uh, the chef that you ended up working really closely with back in college. Mm -hmm. And then the second time you stumbled upon like an old friend who then kind of kickstarted this whole idea of like, oh, maybe I can start doing catering events. Um, right. And then I guess if you kind of think about like all the experiences you've had so far, how has that kind of shaped your specific like cooking style? Because I'm guessing that everyone has like a unique flair that they do really good at or like something that they've developed. Like how would you categorize like your cooking style, for example? Yeah, so um, I, so I would say that um, just to give you some perspective, when I first started cooking, um, I tended to add a lot of different uh, spices and just like a whole slew of uh, ingredients into uh, dishes that I would make. And um, oftentimes they just kind of ended up tasting overly complex. Um, and over time I found that uh, what I really enjoy the most are just kind of um, clean focused flavors. Obviously complexity is good, but um, only up to a certain degree, you don't want um, you don't want your your main components to be overshadowed by um, by like uh, all these different spices or um, vinegars or sauces that you might throw into there. Um, now, I, I I guess um, I guess in terms of my cooking, I've become a little bit more uh, restrained in terms of um, the way that I cook. Um, I don't like to throw. Uh, too many things into a dish. I only throw in what uh, is necessary to kind of express whatever um, food idea or a taste that I have in mind for um, for the people I'm cooking for. Hmm. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I feel like I'm definitely a huge amateur because when I go to like Korean barbecue, my meat's just drenched in the sauce, which is probably not uh, the mean, best thing to be doing. I mean, it depends oh, no, no, on like, the quality fine, of Korean yeah. barbecue. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I, that's totally fine. You know, I, I think it's totally fine to like, you know, drench your food in sauce. I, I love sauce, you know, but um, I guess <laughs> to, get, to give you an idea, like I like back then I, I made this like uh, roast pork shoulder and I remember... Um, or no, no, it was a braised pork shoulder. And I threw in like um, a can of beer, <laughs> a fish sauce, uh, <laughs> soy sauce, um, a, a whole bunch of different spices. I probably threw in like, I don't know, more than 15 or something. And while it tasted fine, you know, um, it, it, it didn't taste quite as um, uh, focused, I guess you could say, um, as it could have been. Like when you add a bunch of uh, different things into, um, into a uh, just any dish or um, yeah when you throw basically certain flavors will get lost it's like 
imagine you have like, um, I don't know, you, you're, you're playing King's Cup with your friends. Imagine this. <laughs> you're playing King's okay. Cup with your friends. Uh, and there's like, uh, instead of four kings, there's like maybe like 20 kings. Everybody has a different drink. They each pour something in, right? And then at the end, you end up drawing the last king and then you have to drink the king's cup. How many of those drinks can you say ex- came from like which person, you know? It's like, it's just, it's just all a, a mishmash of like everything, you know? You won't be able to pick out certain flavors or, or tastes. It just becomes all muddied up, you know? That's such a good analogy. Cause yeah, at that point you're just drinking, like even when you go back to like Costco, right? And then maybe as some kids do, like myself, you just like go like one by one for every one of the soda flavors. And at the very end, it just tastes like this, this really weird concoction and it loses like its distinct taste to a certain degree. Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. That's fascinating. And that actually brings me up to the other point, right? Cause like when you're creating, like, like I gave the example earlier when we went to your house and you made chicken tenders, like, yeah. how do you come up with recipes, like, on the spot? Like, do you follow tutorials? Like, does it just come to you? Like, how does that work? So a lot of it is, it just comes from experience to some degree. Um, for example, like, frying food. Um, I've fried, uh, I, I fried a bunch of different things, like, uh, both, you know, at home and in a, a professional kitchen context. And um, you kind of have, you already have an idea of how everything's supposed to look, you know? Um, so, for example, um, you could either, uh, for chicken tenders, you could either, you know, put it into a batter, uh, which is kind of like a liquid, uh, a liquid um, flour slurry with like eggs or whatever, um, or you can uh, kind of bread it. So then you would probably like dredge it in flour first, dip it in eggs, and then dip in the breading of your choice. So there's different techniques um, for that particular day. Um, I looked uh so in terms of everything that i cook if there are certain things that i don't cook as often for example like uh chicken tenders i might go online and take a look at a recipe to kind of get a rough idea of uh, what ingredients are required and uh, for that day those uh chicken tenders were kind of inspired by uh pock pock's uh fish sauce chicken wings so i looked at the uh, pock pock um cookbook and Kai got a rough idea of what was needed for it, what techniques he uses. Um, and for those wings that I did uh, that night, um, I think I dredged them in a flour and uh, both flour, rice and rice flour. I think that was, I think that, that's what I used that night. So a lot of it, just to go back to your question, uh, to tie it back, a lot of it just comes from experience. Uh, you just kind of, uh, you see a couple of ingredients, uh, you kind of see what you have on hand and you see what you can, you just kind of see how it all fits together. Um, it's a, a big part of it really is just um, kind of, it's almost like looking at a puzzle, right? Um, except you don't know exactly how the pieces will fit together. Um, you just kind of fit it into different ways to like make something or rather maybe not a puzzle, maybe a collage would be a better analogy because with a collage, you know, um, you might have all these like different little pieces of things that you'll you'll be sticking together, um, and there's no uh, absolute right or wrong way to put it together, but there are certain ways that work better than others, and that's kind of what um, my my home cooking at least or for that day uh, was all about to just kind of look at what I had on hand um, and to put it together in a way that would please the palate. 
That's fascinating. And if I could kind of equate to a different analogy, it's almost like thinking about Lego blocks, right? Sometimes you have like an instruction manual, you just follow that and you can build whatever it tells you to do. But sometimes you have certain right. Lego blocks and they can only form certain things. And then you kind of right. you let your imagination run its course. But it's interesting mm -hmm. that like this ideology not only applies in your profession, but I was also thinking like, even for myself in sales, it's like there's certain techniques they teach us to do, but it's not like I'm reading right. off a script every single time. I'm not asking the same questions. No right. one call is the same as another one. A lot right. of it is like you, ha you have to rely back on your experiences to create the outcome that you're looking for. And it's fascinating that it's also very similar in the occupation that you're in right now. Mm -hmm. And I keep going back to like the sous chef example, but I'm just like curious too. If you can like overtly simplify like the techniques or skills that you learn, like what are the top three that you feel like you picked up from fine dining that you apply to like some of your cooking techniques or knowledge nowadays? Okay. So I think the most important that I've learned is just how to properly season food, uh, mm -hmm. how to use the right amount of salt um, and how to, how to essentially balance all those uh, five tastes that we uh, tend to have. Um, so before I started working in a professional kitchen, um, I would season with, uh, let's say like, you know, um, with salt, you know, with fish sauce, uh, with uh, soy sauce, just like a wide variety of, um, you know, things that like, I guess, uh, people might use to normally season food, just, just specifically for uh, relating to the five tastes, right? So that'd be like saltiness and umami. Um, but working in a professional kitchen, uh, you learn how to kind of use all those, um, use different components to really, uh, really uh, please, to, to really, I guess, um, to create a pleasing combination of uh, all five um, tastes. And for those of you that don't know what all five tastes are, it's um, salty, sweet, bitter, sour, and umami or savoriness. Um, so in terms of a kitchen, what you might use to, um, to basically, uh, to evoke those tastes, I guess, or to express those, um, tastes would be, uh, for sweet, you could use sugar, uh, for salty, you could use salt, um, for bitter, you might use pepper, um, or some other spice herb, uh, whatever, something that might be just slightly bitter to kind of, uh, offset and balance your dish. Um, sour, uh, you could use vinegar, you can use uh, lemon juice. And for umami, um, wide variety of stuff, you could use soy sauce, you could use Parmesan. Um, even red wine vinegar itself has a bit of uh, savoriness to it. Um, and miso, there's, there's just a bunch of different things that you could do with uh, each one of those. And when you're seasoning with these things too, um, it's also kind of important to keep in mind that uh, certain um, certain seasoning items that you use or certain ingredients you use won't necessarily fall distinctly into uh, one of those five categories. You know, for example, um, let me think of a good example, like maybe oranges, for example. Um, oranges, they're both, you know, they're both sweet and kind of acidic, right? So um, it's, it's not very clear cut uh, every time that you uh, use something. You kind of have to use a bit of creativity in terms of um, getting the, that seasoning down. Um, so 
I'd say that that that's the most important uh, thing that I've learned at a restaurant is to really had is really to uh, season in such a way that you're you know you're creating a complex uh, but still pleasing um, taste experience. Um, in terms of other things that I've learned uh, techniques wise, um, I suppose. Uh, searing is a pretty important one. It's one that I use nearly every day. Um, you, with searing, uh, searing is basically responsible for creating a lot of uh, those delicious intensified flavors that uh, you would get when you basically uh, throw something into like a really hot pan. For example, um, let's say, uh, let's let's give a little bit of a comparison. So when you have a steak, you definitely want to hit it with really high heat. So that's searing basically to cook something with really high heat. You want to sear that steak because there's this reaction called the Maillard reaction that takes place uh, when proteins and amino acids are subjected to intense heat. They basically, uh, they'll caramelize, they'll, um, they'll change their chemical structures into something that is very delicious. Now, if you're to take that same steak and you threw it into a pot of boiling water, you know, that, that's not going to taste very good. <laughs> hmm. um, let's see. Did, did, did you want like a third example or just, uh, just those two is enough? I mean, those two are already a lot. I feel like I can already learn. I could probably use like a Josh Liu tutorial of how to cook a steak. I know like Gordon uh, Ramsay has one, but I love to kind of have like a Josh version. Maybe one day we'll have <laughs> you make one. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I could just play it on repeat every single time when I cook a steak. Cause I can right. tell you, I still, I still thoroughly fucked that up pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking raw. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And I guess this comes to the, the great part of this whole conversation, right? So like we've talked about this journey of where you were in high school, how you thought about the food industry when you were in college and you stumbled upon all these opportunities from meeting the chef, right. Moo Kitchen, cookies, and now mm. comes your most recent project. And I remember when you've told all the cousins about it, I was just excited. I was like yeah. pumped. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is perfect because you talked about this, but you're now executing. And I feel like that's a huge thing that I can be very, very proud of on your behalf. Mm -hmm. um, but love to kind of hear more about that though. Like what's kind of the story you want to share behind your new idea that you wish people that are eating it know behind, you know, what's like the history, you know, like Ding Typhoon has a history behind it. Right. I guess for yours is still like premature, but yeah. If you have like a story arc to all this. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the name of our uh, little takeout concept is called MRT. Um, we're making a lot of uh, Taiwanese-inspired dishes, uh, but kind of with uh, maybe, I, I suppose it's, uh, it's, it's just my take on uh, Taiwanese uh, dishes. It's not necessarily, I, I wouldn't call it fully authentic Taiwanese food. Um, I think it's, um, it's only authentic in the sense that it's, that it's cooked by a Taiwanese person, but um, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm approaching it with uh, somebody who has had experience cooking in a uh, professional, professional Michelin star restaurant that's uh, like that's you know French. So um, there, there's definitely some more Western technique involved with that too. Uh, but just to kind of give you a little bit of backstory, uh, May and I, we went on a trip to Taiwan about three years ago. And uh, during that time, we just kind of fell in love with the um, 
the the street food there and the uh, convenience store culture there too. It's just you could find like a Seven Eleven, a Family Mart, or a High Life on every corner. Those are all uh, different um, convenience store chains in Taiwan, and we just loved how you know nice it was whenever we went in. It's like we we went. By the way, we went to Taiwan in the summer, and it was really hot, like super, super hot. Like you step out and like you're just drenched in sweat already. That's how bad it was. So going into those convenience stores, uh, it was kind of like a nice little oasis for us almost because the air conditions, the air conditioners blasting, uh, we would just head in there to like, you know, grab a quick buy or maybe like find um, a drink to cool down with. And there's just a huge um, assortment of uh, different snacks and foods that um, you could find in there. And it's it's very different from the experience that you might have here um, in uh, America or SoCal, which is where I'm in. Um, here, uh, sure, you know, there's still food there um, and there's still snacks, but you to get to 7-Eleven, you'd essentially have to drive out, um, you know, at at the very least, like five minutes to get to the nearest one, right? So, whereas in Taiwan, you can kind of just, you know, it could, you could literally just have one like below your apartment building or whatever. Like it's, it's just that convenient. There's like literally one everywhere. Um, so, the food there is pretty good actually. Um, I would say it's a lot better than the food that we have here. Um, I don't know if that's like just a cultural bias um, or if we were or because of the whole novelty of all the foods that we we're enjoying there that we thought it was better but I honestly do think that their food um, is a little bit more thoughtfully prepared over there um, versus here where I think most of the foods it, it's probably frozen and just like reheated um, but uh, yeah so we we fell in love with the uh, convenience store culture and uh, we kind of wanted to uh, take that idea back home um, and to also take those uh, flavors of the street food in Taiwan back home too. So um, maybe a couple months ago, we were rather at the beginning of this year, we kind of seriously started talking about it. Like, okay, like, I think it'd be really cool to do like a, uh, like a Taiwanese convenience store here uh, but with like, you know, food that's uh, with, with um, how do I say it? Food that's a little bit more thoughtfully prepared, you know, not to say that Taiwan's is uh, bad or anything, but uh, we wanted to put a little bit more effort into our food, so to speak. Um, so we decided to start this little takeout business to just kind of see if people would even uh, like the food that we uh, we are planning on making. And uh, we decided to launch with uh, cold sesame chicken noodles um, or ji uh, si liang mian for all of you uh, Mandarin speakers out there. And um, people, people loved it. It was awesome. Uh, and people are still interested. Uh, we also made a a uh, vegan version of the noodles using roasted mushrooms instead of shredded chicken and people seem to really like that too and um, a big part of uh, the reason why we wanted to do a vegan version too was so that a wide variety of people could have our food it wasn't just limited to um, you know carnivores really in in Taiwan I, I get the, I feel like a lot of the food um, it, it doesn't necessarily take into consideration a 
pe uh, people with special uh, dietary needs, for example, like vegans, you know, um, even for like the sesame chicken, uh, like even for the noodle sauce, uh, that sesame sauce, uh, they might put chicken stock in there. So it's like, even if you take out the shredded chicken, it's still not, it's still not vegetarian or vegan. So we wanted to make uh, stuff that was widely accessible and that a wide audience could enjoy uh, food for everyone, essentially. That's absolutely amazing to hear. I feel like I'm always like super homesick with Taiwanese food and it's, it's hard to come by, but I think even when we were talking offline, based in LA, there's a couple of Taiwanese restaurants that are doing really well. There's Pine and Crane, and then there's also Joy. And it sounds like right. we're starting to now get more recognition on the more modern space for Taiwanese cuisine. Because I feel like a lot yeah. of the times it is hole in the wall. It's just because we are Taiwanese that we know about these restaurants. But most yeah. other people probably wouldn't have ever even thought about like going to Yelp and typing Taiwanese food. Um, mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's also a part of like your mission too, is like trying to spread the gospel, if you want to say it like that, of like <laughs> the cuisine that we have to offer in our amazing country? Um, I, I guess to some degree, um, it's kind of like, um, you know, when you go on a really amazing trip and um, like before you head home, you're thinking of like your friends and family or you're like, oh man, I, I really wish they could have came with us. And you end up giving them like a souvenir of the trip or something like that, right? Yeah. Or you might like buy some snacks or whatever from Taiwan and bring it back to your friends and family. So um, I guess to some degree, this is kind of us doing that uh, to kind of uh, bring back a little piece of our uh, experience that we had over there and to share, pe share with people that uh, experience that we had to kind of share our love for um, the food over there. I think that's the part that's always been so fascinating about every project that you've done. I think a lot of the times, including myself, it's, it's very easy to kind of just jump to the whole business aspect. Like, how am I going to make this profitable? Like, how is this going to be a company? But I feel like you usually go into it with more of like a, a genuine thought, like your love for food over encompasses the economics behind your business, whether that's good <laughs> or bad. I just like feel like that's what I really love about what you well, do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I still have to make money. But yeah, I mean, I, um, I like at the end of the day, um, I didn't like, I didn't go into the food industry to make big bucks or anything, you know, um, I, I knew that wasn't uh, a guaranteed, um, you know, outcome of working in the food industry. Um, all I knew was that I really loved cooking. I really loved food and that I had wanted to uh, work in this industry. So um, I, I think a big part of what I do is to always put the food and the cooking before uh, the whole business aspect. Um, mm. Obviously, uh, you know, that's still very important, the, the whole financial aspect of it. But um, really at the end of the day, I just want, you know, happy uh, people who are like full and happy essentially. Man, Josh, I wish I could use some of that too. Cause <laughs> I feel like, yeah, it's, I feel like you've heard, everyone's heard this idea of like never chase the money, chase the craft and just perfect it and the money will mm -hmm. come. But it's mm -hmm. so hard, at least from my perspective, like I'm still going through that challenge of sometimes I think about it from too much of an economic perspective instead of just mm -hmm. like loving the craft and like, letting that kind of just drive the car on its own if, if you want to use that kind of analogy right 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 i mean um with that i i would say that like you know everybody has different goals there's no necessarily a right or wrong way to um 
to approach your career or even your life. Um, at the end of the day, if what you're doing is making you happy, then by all means, continue pursuing it, you know? Um, I think that's really uh, what's most important, I guess. Um, if you just want to make a bunch of money and that makes you happy, then by all means, go for it. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and I think that's like the, I mean, that's kind of the, the silver lining in COVID, right? It gives us a lot of time to reflect on what really is the aspirations and metric of success that we're really trying to hope for. But I think right. even through today's conversation, I mean, this is just scratching the surface about who you are, Josh. And I know you're definitely more than just food, but just seeing how much you put into it and all the wonderful experiences I've been able to be a part of, you know, that's something I just wanted to kind of bring you on as a guest to highlight this. And on when I go ahead and post this recording, I'm also going to tag your Instagram. I mean, I don't have a big following group by any chance, but if anyone listening is in LA, I would highly recommend you try this out. It's, it's highly rated. Um, between, I guess, like, I guess in my eyes and people that have tried it already, but hopefully that will kind of, uh, help spread the word, whatever I can do on my end too. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, what I kind of end off with, there's two things. One is if you were to pass away tomorrow, what would be the, the two or three things you write down on a piece of paper that you leave behind the world? I know our cousin Clement kind of did that too, but yeah, what would be the two things you would have that you'd want to leave to the world? Um, just like like a short statement, you mean? It could be like something that you've learned in life that you like want your, I don't know, if you were to have kids, like your kids would pick that up or yeah. your nieces, nephews, if that makes any sense. Um, I guess uh, just uh, be happy and do what makes you happy. Honestly, yeah, I think the simple things are are the best things too. I feel like a lot of the times life gets overly complicated or we, we try to make it overly complicated when it shouldn't be. And it right. creates a lot of this unnecessary anxiety. And I think that's also something I admire about you is that you are able to kind of, you have this like peace of mind or aura around you when it comes to a lot of things. Maybe you're really good at hiding the anxiety and stress, but you always seem very <laughs> level-headed. And maybe that's also a part of like how you've been able to be successful at what you do to a certain degree is that innate trait that you've built up over time. I thought I would just kind of tell you that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I, I still get like, I still get anxious. I still get stressed out, yeah. but um, at the end of the day, you know, um, I, I know for some people it's very difficult to control those sort of feelings, but um, at the end of the day, uh, just worrying about things that you have no control over, uh, stressing over things that, um, you know, that, that you might not have control over or things that like really aren't uh, all that important to your life, like stressing about like little things that really have no bearing on your overall life. Like, I think it's just, um, it, it's just an extra burden, you know, um, the more that you kind of uh, cut those little anxieties and stresses away, the more you're able to, I guess, uh, focus on really what makes you happy, you know, um, it's, it's kind of like, uh, how a big part of our, um, in terms of, um, uh, mental health, uh, men mental wellness culture, I guess you could say, uh, a big part of it is just being present, right. Um, mm -hmm. to be in the moment. And a big part of that is to like, not, you know, have all these like little, uh, ing like all these little worries or stresses, like think about things that like, you know, might happen later, that may or may not happen later. Um, I think um, just being able to kind of cut all that static out is 
just really beneficial to uh, one's own happiness. That's actually really fascinating. I was, so I know like, so uh, what is it? Rain Wilson, the guy who played Dwight Shrew. And then there's also Nick Offerman who played Ron in Parks and Rec. I think they did like a recent, like small YouTube video I saw today. Yeah. But it's interesting that uh, Nick Offerman is very much like his character, Ron, in the show. And I had no idea. He's like building wood crafts. He's like a very simple person, lives on a farm oh, yeah, yeah. ranch. Mm -hmm. I had no right. idea about that. I just found that out today. Yeah. And he also talked about that same exact thing you mentioned, Josh, is like, mm -hmm. you kind of just focus on the craft and like just being present. Like he doesn't think about like all this like miscellaneous things that happen on in life. It's just like he focuses on like making his wood pieces, enjoying the small things, being present. And right. it's, fat, it's, it's interesting that you brought up a very similar dialogue to something I just randomly came across today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. And then I, I know the, the la I know this was a, a rather long podcast. I think the last thing I end off with here, Josh, and thanks again for even taking the time. I know you're super busy oh, yeah, with all course. the orders you have. What's one question you like to ask me? It's something that I've asked everyone on the podcast so far. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> I am doing okay. I think it's definitely a complicated period with COVID. I'm just trying mm -hmm. to figure out what I really want. And there's definitely been moments of, I was talking to my girlfriend, like it's been really boring at times, like being stuck at right. home, not doing anything. Right. But I think when I keep myself busy, like when I have these great calls and conversations with people close to me, right. it gives me something to do. And I try to keep myself accountable because yeah. ideally I like to do a podcast episode every week. Mm -hmm. I don't have that many people in my network. I'm going to run out really quickly. <laughs> and it's also like really tiring to like find someone and like schedule some time. And then I have to make sure, have to make sure they have some time too. And to do right. this every single week, I didn't realize it's a big commitment, but right. I think just like you, you have to see things through. Maybe it's something that just runs in our family. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hopefully a positive trait, you know, like we really want to do well in the, in the things that we love. Right. And I, I think this conversation was fruitful and it's, good to you know even catch up with you one-on-one -on -one like this too and yeah i'll be in la relatively soon so we'll, i'll be able to file your noodles try it out and then we'll catch it more in person <laughs> okay awesome awesome <laughs> perfect josh well thanks again man really appreciate you being on yeah of course anytime